Guitar people, welcome to Have Guitar Will Travel, presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine, with your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies. And today I'm speaking with guitarist and composer Brendan Burns. Brendan is a fabulous composer and microtonal guitarist. In our conversation, we discuss growing up in Marin County in the San Francisco Bay Area and his education including Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and Berkeley College of Music. We also cover his dad's influence on his desire to play music. We talk about the local bands Brendan has played with, and we talk about a band he played with in Chicago, the MDR, that was with Matt Walker, who played drums with Smashing Pumpkins, Garbage, Filter, and currently with Morrissey. Then we talk about microtonal arts and what led to Brendan's interest in that form of music, and we talk about refretting his guitars to 22 and 27 frets per octave. Brendan describes relearning his technique to play his microtonal guitars. We discuss Brendan's new album, 2227, which is all guitar and all microtonal, a brilliant album. Brendan explains the benefits of microtonal fretted guitars. We talk about the microtonal Facebook group, the Zen Harmonic Alliance, and we talk about gear, his current Fuchs amp and his past box amps, and we talk pedals and guitars. And finally, we talk about his composing for film and TV as well recently for podcasts. You can find out more about Brendan at his website, brendanburns.com. That's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-B-Y-R-N-E-S. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Brent. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Brendan. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Very good. I'm taking a break from work today. (laughs) Where do you work? To do this. So this is very nice. Um, I work for uh, a company called Stitcher. It's a podcast company. Sure, of course. <laughs> so I do engineering and yeah, some people don't know. It. Uh, yeah, engineering and sound design and music. Okay, for, great. Uh, a bunch of different podcasts. Yeah, great. It's my day gig. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. The, uh, how long have you been doing that? I'm about three years now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been in LA doing you know TV and film music, and then I um, sort of got into podcasting the last couple of years as it's been taking off. So. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's Very good. Really fun. The, uh, what part of LA you live in? Uh, I'm currently in Culver City. Uh-huh. So I moved to LA in 2010, and I lived in um, like the east side of LA, Highland Park and Lincoln Heights. Sure. And um, yeah, then I moved in uh, with my now wife uh, a couple of years ago. So now I'm a West Sider. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good for you. LA, LA is, I'm sure you know, it's like very much two cities. You know. So. Yeah. If not more. <laughs> no more, right? <laughs> that uh, clearly that's your home studio right there. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's a it's a spare bedroom, but this is the the studio. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, got got all my keyboards and my guitars and I have some analog gear cuz I, I do a lot of mixing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, freelance mixing stuff. So. Oh, cool. Very good. Yeah. You, and you grew up in in Boston? Um, no, I, I went to school in Boston. Uh, I went to Berkeley okay, College cool. of Music, mm-hmm. but I grew up in San Rafael, California. No way. Um, yeah, I actually, I listened to, well, I listened to a couple episodes of the podcast and you were interviewing a guest who was also from San Rafael. And yeah. I know you're, you're a Bay Area yeah, yeah. Uh, guy as well. The, and where, where are you again? I'm in Napa right now. Napa. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. was just in Napa yesterday, actually. Uh, uh, we should have <laughs> done this in person. 
We should have. <laughs> well, I was actually uh, I was actually on my honeymoon. I just got married last oh, weekend. Congratulations! And I was in Napa. Yeah, thank you. I was in Napa for a couple of days. You know, uh-huh. chilling out, kind of a mini honeymoon. Okay. So. Well, then it would have been very bad for us to do it. Not it might day. have been bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is perfect timing today. So, uh-huh. so you grew up in Center Fell. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind me asking, like, when were you born? Oh yeah. No. Sure. <laughs> I was born in 1980, so I'm 41. Okay. okay. Uh, and yeah, I lived there until I was 18. And um, I don't know if you know the Magic Flute Music Store. Absolutely. But I worked there. Yeah. yeah, I worked there for a little bit. Um, I have, have a bunch of great friends who worked there. Yeah. And, um, uh, Steve yeah. Vai's drummer. Um, oh, Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy yeah, Colson. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm friends with Jeremy. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> I I'm saw sure. him play with Steve Vai. It was like it might have been like his third or fourth show. I was in Boston at the time, and he was um, he was very nervous because he was new to the gig. But that guy's such a monster drummer. Oh, he, absolutely! He killed it. It's yeah. so fun to watch. Yeah. What's really fun to watch is him playing with anybody besides. I mean, he's great with Steve Vai, but watch mm-hmm. him play with like just a regular hard rock band, and he just yeah. kills it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. He's really incredible. He just has this crazy energy and he just he hits the drums so hard. And yeah. um yeah, I've seen him play with punk bands, I've seen him play with country bands, and yeah. he always just has that intensity that's exactly. super fun to watch. So you, were yeah. you teaching lessons at Magic Flute? Uh no, I never taught lessons there. I took lessons there when I was a kid. So uh-huh. I started playing guitar when I was fourteen uh-huh. and uh a teacher there, uh, his name is Neil Harris. Uh-huh. Um he taught there for a long time. Sure. Jazz great jazz guitar player. Um, and he, um, yeah, I started with him and then, um, I studied with a guy named Nick Shryock, who mm-hmm. is a classical guitar player. Okay. Um, cause I eventually went to, I, I studied at Cal Poly for two years, just doing uh, classical guitar. Good for you. So That's I sort great. of graduated from jazz to classical or not graduated, but you know, mm-hmm. changed over a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you were, what year were you at Berkeley? I was at Berkeley, so I transferred. So I went to Cal Poly mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years, and then I transferred there in 2000, uh, I think it was 2001, okay. 2002. So I was there for about two and a half years and graduated 2004. Okay. Um, and I studied with uh, John Finn there, who's yeah. a great guitar player, sure. and then uh, Lauren Passarelli and a couple other people. So I had a great experience there. Yeah. Was Mike Kelly still there? Um, I don't think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Like he probably just yeah. left. I had his books. I think he had. Yeah. yeah he, another. I mean, there's no. There's no bad guitar teachers there. They're. They're all incredible. No. Every, everybody can play. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> was it, it was full a of cool world? <laughs> was Berkeley full of guitar players still at that point? Yeah. It was. It was still all male guitar players. I mean, yeah. that was kind of the vibe. <laughs> um, well, I. You know, I mean, I had. Uh, I had a lot of drummer friends and, and other friends, like engineers. I was actually in contemporary write-in production, so guitar was my principal instrument. But, okay. um, yeah, I'm more of a – I sort of think of myself as a as a composer first and a guitar player second. It yeah. didn't always used to be that way. I started out as a guitar player. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I really started focusing on just writing music, no matter what instrument it was. And guitar has been at the, the center, you know, of most of my compositions and most of my writing. But, yeah. Um, yeah, and that that's sort of what um, introduced me to engineering my own stuff and making recordings, and uh-huh. I sort of learned engineering just as I went. But yeah, um, yeah music writing sort of comes first. <laughs> and when you were when you were in Marin, were you playing in local bands and stuff, or or? Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I had a high school band, <laughs> um, and actually, at the time in San Rafael, um, the music scene was great for high school kids. There were there were maybe five or six venues that were 
pretty active and sure. you know i was gigging you know once or twice a month and all my friends were in bands and it yeah. felt like a very fertile scene i've since talked to um a guy who grew up there and he's maybe five or ten years behind me and he said the music scene was nothing like that for you know his high school experience yeah, I, yeah. I feel like i caught a nice golden age of uh, <laughs> local high school music where, where were you <laughs> but, playing um we played at uh well i mean anywhere there was the fairfax pavilion sure. there was the uh um cordomedia rec center there oh, was okay. uh, a venue up in petaluma which the, i'm blanking on the name the phoenix that was theater a, the Phoenix Theater, yeah. We the Phoenix, the Phoenix and then there was the Mystic, but the Mystic was mostly, like, national acts. Yeah, well, I never played the Mystic, but I played the Phoenix a whole bunch of times. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so venues like that, you know, yeah. community centers. Sure, no, that's great. <laughs> and then that's the awesome. Phoenix was a, a bigger deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's awesome because you're getting people that are there to see you rather than... Right, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. What were the names of the bands that you were playing with in, um, in, in that uh, my band was called Earache My Neck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, uh, 14-year-olds naming the band. That's what you get. But, um, yeah, I played with that. And then I, um, I also played with my dad's band a little bit. My dad's a musician. And oh. he's still gigging in the Bay Area. He's a, a jazz harmonica player. Oh, cool. uh, he plays chromatic harmonica. Wow. Um, and he pl- plays with a guy named Jules Broussard a lot, uh-huh. who, who's been in the Bay Area forever. He's sure. a great saxophone player. Yeah. Um, so my dad had a couple bands, like cover bands and things like that, that I would sit in with and, and play gigs with, you know, from time to time. But, yeah, um, yeah I was, Eric, my neck was my high school band. And right that, was, that was my whole world. Whole world. Yeah, so. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, so then you went to Cal Poly. Were you playing in bands while you were studying at Cal Poly? Or was, yeah, it, I was, was your a- focus mostly just classical? Um, it should have been mostly on classical, but I was, yeah, I was. I was really consumed again by being in a band and we were gigging all the time over San Luis Obispo and oh, kind of the surrounding area. Uh-huh. Um, we were called dusk, you know, we, we had, a, you know, we were just around for a year or two, so uh-huh. not much happened with that, but we, you know, yeah. we made a couple of recordings and played every weekend, you know, yeah. around town and yeah. stuff like that. The, uh, and then when you went to Berkeley, the Ber- mm. uh, playing around Boston is difficult with the, the amount of musicians that are there and the click that's going on. Were you, exactly. Were you able to play out at all when you were going to Berkeley? Um, I did, although it wasn't my focus. I mean, I, I sort of at that time, um, I just I really wanted to to be one of those guys that was practicing, you know, four to eight hours a day sure. and just really being there for the school. And yeah. I, had, I had done enough gigging that I wasn't really itching to do that in Boston. And yeah. I kind of also knew that I was going to move out of Boston mm-hmm. once I was done with school. So yeah. it wasn't really a priority for me to, to make headway in that scene. Uh-huh. I just sort of wanted to be immersed in that world and just, you know, learn as much as I could during that time. Yeah. I mean, I did have a band, but it was uh, it was a little bit more casual. Yeah. And I just, you know, I it was the in that time period, I just wanted to play with as many people as possible oh yeah. Uh, yeah rather than settle on you know a band like okay i play with you guys every every week or every <laughs> week or whatever yeah. um so. exactly the yeah. um and, and were you disheartened when you ever you looked at the job board at, at berkeley <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was well you know it's funny i i had a, a teacher there michael farquharson uh, he was the contemporary writing and production uh i think he was the chair at the time but uh-huh. It was like one of our last classes and we were all graduating. And he said, like, if you take any piece of advice from me, take this piece of advice. He's like, just get out of Boston. Do, do not stay here. <laughs> There's nothing for here. Once you graduate, it's a great place to go to school. It's a great place to learn and meet amazing musicians. But uh, it's just very difficult there. Oh, you know? yeah. So I, that was his main message. So, um, yeah, so I, I moved to Chicago. Um, okay. And, yeah, I had much better luck there, I think, than I would have in Boston. <laughs> exactly. And what, yeah. So what did you do when you got to Chicago? 
Um, well, I actually moved with uh, members of my high school band. We, oh, we really? just, uh, yeah, we, we never stopped collaborating and, uh-huh. you know, we're best of friends. So, um, you know, some years have passed and we still wanted to try doing a band and, uh-huh. um, a long story but we you know we had a reason to move sh- to chicago um and for me it was it was sort of a random choice but um yeah, yeah we moved there uh the band imploded pretty quickly about a year <laughs> in after but i ended up playing in a lot of bands in chicago i played with a band called uh canasta and we did a lot of touring and um you know made an album and then i played with a band called the mdr which was um a guy named matt walker's band um matt walker he was the drummer for the Smashing Pumpkins oh, wow. uh, for a couple of years, uh-huh. and he, he's currently uh, Morrissey's drummer. Oh wow! But uh, at the time in Chicago, he was um, you know he was just playing in all of the bigger Chicago bands. He was in Garbage for wow. a little bit and Filter, and so that that scene in Chicago, he was uh, he was everybody's drummer. So <laughs> that's great, excellent. Yeah. So he had a band, um, and he he wrote a lot of the material. Um, uh-huh. But when I I auditioned for the band and I, I got the gig and one of the reasons they brought me in was that I, I wrote music and they, uh-huh. they wanted, you know, a collaborator in the band. So uh-huh. that was really fun. And, um, and the, the style of music that you were playing with those guys, what was it like? It was, um, I would say it was very like David Bowie influenced okay. rock, not quite so seventies and eighties tinge. We were, you know, it was modern sounding, but yeah. um, David Bowie, I think was probably like, influence that everybody in the band could agree on uh-huh. <laughs> uh the singer was really into the stones he kind of had a, a mick jagger approach to to singing yeah um and matt was you know um definitely coming from like the smashing pumpkins kind of uh you know solid groove but you know very intricate drumming sure. kind of approach mm-hmm. um yeah and then my guitar playing i don't know i i i still glom on to a lot of 80s rock so i mean you know uh, they they had to, you know, fight me to to turn my chorus pedal off sometimes. But <laughs> I was <clears throat> very much into like the police, uh, yeah, you know, kind of atmospheric guitars and <laughs> yeah. lots of delay and uh-huh. you know, kind of more textural approach. Sure. I, that's sort of what I was gravitating to at the time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's an amalgamation of those influences. And and so, how long did you live in Chicago? I was there for seven years. Oh, wow. okay. um, yeah, and, and um, I was. I was teaching guitar, you know, that was my day gig. Uh-huh. Um, and I was actually a sushi chef as well. I mean, it got into the restaurant business is, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> has a lot of us have been in. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and then just, yeah, just gigging. And, um, sometimes I was in two or three bands at the same time. And, you know, uh, I was definitely, you know, I, I pr- probably played every venue in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> no, that's least. good. That's, that's yeah. great. The, uh, yeah. did you ever get used to living? I mean, living in Boston is one thing going to Berkeley, but would you ever get li- used to living in the city in Chicago? Um, I think I got used to it, but uh, I never really got into it to the point where I was like, okay, I could live the rest of my life like this. So exactly. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm in LA and it's the you know extreme opposite. I'm definitely kind of, I would love to have a snowy winter. Oh yeah. Again. Well, I don't um, know. Traveling around in a snowy winter is t- difficult. It's yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> rough. And I mean, I remember the last year I was there, there was, there was one day, I think it was below, it was like negative 35 with a wind chill and mm-hmm. you know, negative 75 <laughs> and it 
I'd be like, okay, I'm I'm out. You know, this is my last winter here. <laughs> <laughs> the, and, and I never figured out how people. Um, I've I've traveled in the in the wintertime and toured in the wintertime, but mm-hmm. just like having a, like a, a casual gig and trying to get it in in weather that's like that is like, oh man, what am I doing? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it almost doesn't seem worth it. And you know, for people who want to go to a show too, it's you know, it's not worth it for them to get in the car on the subway and uh-huh. try to get into a venue. And yeah, it's. It's rough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and with that band, did you put out any records? Um, in Canasta, we did. Uh-huh. MDR, um, the one with Matt Walker. Uh-huh. We recorded an album, uh, and it did not get released. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, at the, at the time, you know, uh, the singer as well, but Matt, you know, they were sort of used to dealing with major labels uh-huh. and, you know, getting a big advance and sure. kind of going through that whole thing. Yeah. And it was right around 2008 when, you know, the real estate crashed and, sure. and everything. So yeah. it was kind of bad timing. All of a sudden the record labels were not, you know, everybody was just not spending money on anything. Yeah. So that's, I, I think, I, I think that's a big factor of why it, it just kind of didn't work out with that band. And, uh-huh. um, you know, Matt, he, he had to be on the road a lot with Morrissey. He had a couple of kids and it was just, uh, it was difficult. And that, and then the fact that sort of their, their major label connections and expectations didn't come through was, yeah. a, you know, uh, yeah, stopped <laughs> things a little bit, but we did record a bunch. It's just, it never got released and there was no reason to after the fact. So sure. Of course. We did release a, uh, there's some like YouTube videos of us playing. We did this, um, like very well produced live DVD. Uh-huh. Um, wow. And there's some videos online um, that look great and it sounds great. You know, it's it very professionally done. So that that's kind of like the archival stuff that we have. From yeah, that band. <laughs> great. And so that's available on YouTube. Yeah. If you just Google the MDR, you'll see um, it's okay. just one concert and it's us playing live. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, the, the lights look great and the, they had a, um, you know, yeah. really great audio engineers in the van outside. And it's cool. Uh, it's worth a watch maybe <laughs> yeah great the, uh and so where, where did you go from from there where did you go from from chicago? um from chicago i moved back to la so okay. i went to grad school at cal arts oh great um and yeah um so i got my master's in uh composition there okay um and that's where i really got into microtonal tuning systems yeah. which um yeah you might um uh yeah, so that that's been my main focus uh-huh. since then. Um, and I, I was aware of microtones and microtonal stuff um, before that, and that's sort of one of the reasons why I chose CalArts. Uh-huh. I was um, I was really into a guy named Glenn Branca. Uh-huh. Um, so he's not very well known, but he's a um, a New York composer who died a couple of years ago, and he did these big guitar orchestra uh, compositions. Sure. So um, I actually played in his orchestra a couple times. He has wow. a piece called hallucination city and it's for a hundred electric guitars and wow. loud guitars it's the loudest thing i've ever heard in my entire life <laughs> um and it's very dissonant music um uh-huh. and it's um yeah we i i played on that piece a couple times we did one at um the walt disney concert hall which, oh, which wow. was really fun yeah um and yeah it's you know so i listened to his music starting around when i was kind of a teenager and so I was always interested in microtones, but I didn't really quite understand how to use them. And I didn't sure. really understand if there was anything there for me in my own music. But yeah. when I went to CalArts, um, I, I got much more familiar with uh, just intonation and, and the harmonic series. And uh-huh. it's uh, basically, I don't know, to sum up the, the harmonic series for me, it's, it's sort of a, a guide 
for new notes that are in tune, but uh-huh. that we don't really have immediate access to like on, on a guitar uh-huh. or on a, on a piano. So you really have to retune your instrument or in my case, I've refretted a lot of my guitars. Um, I didn't do it personally, but uh-huh. I, there's a luthier okay. in Florida. Um, a guy I can talk about, his name is Ron sword. Uh-huh. Um, please do talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. He's, uh, well, it's, it's him and a guy named Patrick Horgan. So Ron and Patrick, uh, their company is called Metatonal Music. Uh-huh. And their their main business is basically you can send them your guitar. They pop off the fretboard uh-huh. and they put in a new custom one. So you can have them cut the fretboard however you like. So, uh-huh. um, for instance, I have uh, guitars that are um, fretted to be 22 notes per octave. Wow. And I just got a new one that's 27 notes per octave. I'll show you real quick. Yeah, please do. Oh, that's a beautiful guitar. So there's a ton oh, of frets. Yeah. So is that that's a is it a Ibanez or what is it? What was it originally? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it was originally an Ibanez. I, I I suppose it still is for the uh, most yeah. part. <laughs> but yeah, he. So I bought this guitar. Um, uh-huh. It's just one of the cheaper Ibanez hollow bodies. Yeah. Um, but it's great. It sounds great. And he um, he popped off the fretboard, which was a really difficult job for him. Apparently, just the the glue they use on this or uh-huh. the epoxy or whatever it is was really really strong. Wow. So he almost split the fretboard, but he was able to to pop it off. Wow. And um, yeah, he cuts his own fretboards, and this one's for 27 notes in an octave. So wow. I think it's about 50-something frets in total. And um, yeah, a lot of people ask me, it's, it's like, I mean, you can't, you can't fit your finger yeah. all the way inside a fret. So you, you kind of have to, when you're up on the higher frets... You have to use almost like a like you were playing a serode where uh-huh. they use their their fingernail and kind of you bend your finger a little bit wow. so you can kind of get your fingernail in there and um, <laughs> it's tricky so you, you, I kind of had to relearn some technique a little bit to play uh, it but kinda or you had to learn kinda. a lot of technique over again <laughs> it's it's actually not as bad as as it looks when you're when you're playing high, really high up yeah you you really do have to adjust your hand in a way that you wouldn't with a regular guitar but. Uh-huh. I've been kind of surprised. I mean, sometimes your your finger will actually be over two frets, uh-huh. but as long as it's positioned so it's not, you know, onto the next fret, you can actually get the note to speak pretty well, and, and the tone sounds great. Wow. Um, you know, if if you find the sweet spot. So. Sure. And and just, when, and when you, when when the strings are open, what are they tuned to? Or um, do you use I, multiple tunings? Obviously. Well, yeah, I've I've always been a fan of alternate tunings, but um, for this microtonal stuff, just so I can keep track of things, I, I have done more of a standard oh, right. uh, tuning. So I'm tuned in, in fourths all the way up like you would a regular guitar, uh-huh. but um, the fourths on this are a little bit sharp. Okay. So, um, and I've, it's, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, if you, you can tune it by ear, it's like, rather than using the fifth fret and, and tuning the next string down, you use like the the 12th fret or something sure. or whatever it is so sure. you can do it that way but um <laughs> i have a tuner programmed to so i you know can just get it real precise yeah and do do you own any guitars now that aren't um that aren't micro micro <laughs> micro tuned yes yeah, so I, I most of my guitars aren't micro tuned oh really oh. i still do uh yeah i still play um you know regular guitar and uh-huh. um you know i'm i still do music for uh, TV and film when I can and, and sure. podcasts and uh-huh. I still love regular guitar. It's, uh-huh. you know, I ha- definitely haven't left that behind. It's uh-huh. just, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you have a new record out right now or is it coming out mm-hmm. or is it out? No, it's out now. Okay. Yeah. And it came out, uh, about a month ago. Two, 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 seven. Yes. Twenty two twenty. Twenty two twenty seven. And how many, how many albums did you put out before that? 
Um, I think this is my fifth album. Okay. Um, and I've done about three albums that are all in microtonal tuning systems. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I've been doing this, the microtonal thing for a while. And um, the the past albums are much more, um, there's a lot more synthesizers okay. um, and sound design. But this album, 2227, yeah. is, it, it's all about guitar. Yeah, it's all guitar. Yeah. The, yeah, it's all guitar. It's, it's very beautifully ethereal. It's it's like it's so gorgeous. Oh, oh cool. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really know if you'd listen to it or not. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. No, I cool. loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. It it took it took me like two and a half songs to like to let everything <laughs> register in my brain. Yeah, and, and it, it's almost like. Um, for me, it was like almost like you know slide guitar sort of, and I know it's not a slide guitar, but it's it's the with the the microtones are are it, you know the, it's not I'm not used to hearing it, so that's what it sounded like to me. But it's so yeah. so beautiful, it's so gorgeous. Oh cool! Yeah. Oh thank you. Yeah, yeah I've I had a a similar experience for me microtonal music. I mean, the first time I heard microtonal stuff, I hated it. I mm-hmm. just you know it I didn't compute. It just sounded out of tune and. <laughs> It definitely takes a while to to sink into it, but yeah. um, I, I try the hardest I can to make music that is sort of you know right off the bat is at least uh, you know not totally offensive sounding. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you gig this stuff out? Do you do you play out with this? My yeah, I uh, I plan to. So I, I've been writing um, a number of solo pieces that uh-huh. I, I plan to gig out with. Um, you know, now that the pandemic is kind of sure uh wrapping up or you know getting better um (laughs) and before that yeah i know (laughs) um before that i was in a band called elevens that um it was i mean i wrote all the music and it was all in 22 equal divisions of the octave so um i had a a 22 edo bass um and then i had you know my 22 edo guitars sorry i'm saying edo edo stands for equal divisions of the octave so in the microtonal community, it's understood sure. that you know, 22 Edo's, <laughs> um, yeah, 22 divisions of the octave. But yeah, I had a band, and we were, we were gigging out in L.A. Um, for a while, and we made a record, and we put it out. Um, it's called Transmitter. Um, it's out there if you want to look it up. You okay. know, we weren't on a label or anything. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. It's on, it's, you could find, probably find it on iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's on all of the streaming services. Um, we have a couple live videos of us playing on YouTube, which might be more interesting because you can see the, you know, the all the frets and sort of how we're managing to oh, play cool. all the. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Yeah. So it's it's called Elevens with an I. So it's I L E V E N S. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on. Is twenty two the the twenty two Edo? Is that the the most normal microtonal division? That's a yeah. That's a good question. It's it's become a, a favorite of people um because it actually um like for instance major chords are actually tuned more accurately in 22 edo so like in 12 edo you know major chords sound great but the the major third is actually it's a little bit sharp okay so and i I don't know i i remember having this experience when you know i was learning like if you if you try to play like let's say just an e major chord Uh with a bunch of distortion on it sure it does. It, it it has. You know. It kind of doesn't sound as good as a power chord. Yeah. That major third just sounds a little bit like it's it's rattling and, uh-huh. and a little bit discordant. If you tune that that you know, like a, again, if you're playing this E major chord, if you tune the G string down 14 cents uh-huh. and you strum that major chord with a bunch of distortion, it'll sound beautiful. That'll uh-huh. that major chord will suddenly become in tune, yeah. perfectly in tune. Wow. So 
uh, in 22 Edo, the major chords kind of have that quality. You can play a major chord in 22 Edo uh-huh. with a bunch of distortion, and it, it sounds solid, and it sounds fused together, and has almost like a power chord kind of quality yeah. to it. So wow. that's one of the reasons why 22 Edo is, is one of the favorites, because there's a lot of just you know chords that we're used to playing and you would want to play. They're actually tuned uh, slightly better. Wow. So, some are tuned or worse, you know, or, or yeah. slightly more strange, uh, you know, kind of intonations. But um, 22 has a really good balance of kind of familiar stuff and then stuff that's also kind of out of the, uh, the normal notes that we're hearing. Right. So um, my favorite thing about 22 Edo is it has this note, um, which is it falls exactly between a fourth and a tritone. Uh-huh. So uh, and it's it's actually in tune perfectly with the harmonic series so it's it literally is a new note that we don't have on a guitar wow. but it's it's in tune and you can play it with a bunch of distortion uh-huh. and you know i mean i think for the first time when people hear it it is a little bit strange sounding and jarring but there's also a quality to it that that sounds like oh that that actually sounds right in a very weird way <laughs> sure, sure sure so that that those kinds of notes and those kinds of uh tonalities and sounds that's kind of been my attraction to microtones and uh-huh. 22 Edo does a really good job at kind of uh having the best of both worlds yeah. so great for that reason that's why i chose it and a lot of other people in the microtonal community have as well is there like a facebook group of uh microtonal musicians <laughs> there is yeah and uh yeah you, you should join if you're interested the conversation yeah. is is really interesting any listener who's interested in this stuff the um conversation is very active the community is really supportive and I've been really surprised at how fast it's been growing. Um, you know, I, I joined it 10 years ago yeah. and, uh, it's, yeah, there's, there's thousands of people on it now and there's a lot of people who are very knowledgeable. Um, so it's one of those subjects. I mean, it's, it's pretty intimidating at first. I mean, I was really intimidated just to even, you know, pop in and say hi and ask a question. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people every day who are joining, who are just totally new and just curious about it. And everybody's really helpful. So it's, it's, it's an eye-opening experience for right. ear-opening. So. <laughs> ear-opening for sure. Uh, ear-opening, yeah. And I should say it's called the uh, the Zen Harmonic Alliance, uh-huh. <laughs> and Zen Harmonic is spelled with an X, oh. so X E N. Okay. X E N Harmonic. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if you want to look it up and join, that's okay. where to go. <laughs> right on. And, and, and I'm on there. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> the, and well, we should get this out of the way. Do you have a website? I do. Yeah. It's just my name dot com. Uh-huh. BrendanBurns dot com. Right on. Right on. Yeah. And the, and you can find all, all your music there and and Yeah, all my music's on there. Um you can also uh I mean all of the streaming services, Spotify, Tidal, yeah. Apple Music. Um sure. and then I I also sell um like my new record I have vinyl copies oh, for cool. sale and I have uh CDs and cassettes of uh some of my past microtonal stuff uh-huh. for sale. So if you like the, you know, the high-res digital versions or, you know, physical yeah. versions, I have those all right well on. on Bandcamp. And, yeah. and t-shirt stuff and stuff like that too i don't have t-shirt i would love to get t-shirts but <laughs> it was a stretch even to, to yeah. get the vinyl this time. <laughs> i know i can only imagine the yeah. last time i looked at getting vinyl it was like a year there's like over a year wait on uh get, having it printed and the, then you had to buy the the folder separately and it was a, it was a mess <laughs> it's yeah yeah it's tricky for i i found a great company called standard vinyl and their turnaround time was actually very reasonable oh, good. and um yeah 
I just got them yesterday, actually. So oh, I'm really thrilled. I've Congra- always wanted a, yeah. a vinyl record. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see. So what are you using for amps and stuff? Are you, are you mostly using computer-driven um, stuff, or is it are you using live amps? Um, I, I prefer re- real amps. I mean, uh, anytime I, you know, if I'm in a rush, I'll use, you know, uh, amp simulators. But mm-hmm. right now I'm playing out of a, a Fuchs Blackjack. Uh-huh. Um, I was a Vox guy for a long time. I played out of a Vox AC30. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I just started to find that the tone was just a little bit too bright for most of the things that I was trying to do. Uh-huh. Um, and I also had never played uh, a hollow body before, so getting a hollow body, I kind of wanted an amp to complement that. So, sure. Um, I was doing some research and just talking to people who were knowledgeable, and um, obviously, I'm not going to go out and buy a Dumble, but I was kind of like, <laughs> you know, into into that sound, and and I wasn't really aware of Fuchs, but um, I listened to a bunch of samples online and just kind of rolled the dice and and got yeah. this. Uh, blackjack and i really love it it's uh it's 21 watts it's like you know it works for in studio stuff so i can um you know use it in here and then for gigs exactly nobody's gonna tell you to turn down too much with 21 no (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah i really love it it's been great cool cool yeah uh and pedals are using pedals yeah i've always used a lot of pedals um i currently have them i have them up on a table here because i actually run them so I system. sort of use them as plugins uh-huh. now. Yeah. So sometimes I'll take a, a vocal track or something and just run it out to the, the pedals. Um, so I mean, I'm a big delay fan, so I have a memory man uh-huh. and I have a, um, the, uh, TC electronic delay uh-huh. and I have a boss delay and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then distortion, I have a, a big muff and a Jekyll and Hyde distortion, a fuzz factory. Wow. So yeah, a lot, a lot of distortions and delays. Yeah, no clone yet. <laughs> What's that? No clone yet? No, no. I'd love to. <laughs> At some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you use one? No, I can't afford that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, the, the latest thing I have as far as distortion is this uh, Super Lead from Way Huge. Oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> I've never tried one of those, but... It's good super things. nice. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a simple distortion. It's three knobs, so you, yeah. you can't go wrong. <laughs> or totally. you can, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you're not far away from the right time. <laughs> yeah, the um, and uh, anything else? Are you using choruses or anything like that, or is that part of the? You know, so many people told me to turn the chorus off in my uh, <laughs> earlier <laughs> days that I just I don't have a chorus anymore. I have an MXR phaser, but um, yeah, I've, the, anytime I really need chorus, I'll, I'll get it from the Memory Man. Uh-huh, um, okay, just have the the delayed chorus a little yeah, bit. But yeah. uh, I don't I don't use chorus so much anymore. And when you were playing in Chicago, what what was your gear like then? Um, I was playing out of uh, I was still using AC30. Okay. So um, and it was a stack. Um, I had, at, I was usually in two bands, so I had a two twelve cab uh-huh. and a four twelve cab, and I would oh, wow. usually just leave a cab at a different rehearsal space okay. and then yeah, carry sense. the head to and from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes um, perfect sense. Yeah, um, and I also had a. Um, for a long time a uh, Roland jazz chorus uh-huh. um which i never really used that much in a band because i wasn't in bands that were that amp made sense a lot but for recording i used it here and there yeah yep um and those are really cool for what they do oh yeah um, of course those are and i would trademark yeah. of the 80s totally yeah. <laughs> the late and, 80s anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah. and so, talk about your composing the, the what tv shows have you worked on um the the one that people 
might have seen it's it's uh it's called lost la and it was a documentary okay um and it was uh there was a bunch of different episodes so i did uh music for that i was also the mix engineer on that so i i mixed the the dialogue and everything else um and then i've i've gotten a few placements where i just like you know a song will get placed kind of thing but um i i also did um a film called operator and this was a while ago now this was in 2016 maybe okay um, and I was the composer on that film. So that was a feature film. Wow. Uh, me and a, a guy named Sage Lewis. Um, yeah, we, we kind of split that one and um, composed a bunch of cues for that. Oh, great. And, um, yeah, so that, that was like my foray into film composing. I haven't done um, that much since because I've gotten more into podcasting and, uh-huh. you know, other things. But And, and so you, you provide music to Stitcher as well. Yeah, and I do. How, yeah. How does that work? Usually, um, you know, I'll get assigned a new show uh, and a, the producer and I will sort of work on, you know, what what the, the tone should be. A lot of times we'll sort of trade reference tracks back and forth like, um, you know, like this song and uh-huh. this kind of synthesizer sound works for this or whatever. Yep. Um, and I usually have, you know, quite a bit of freedom, um, which is really great. And as long as the, the producer I'm working with, if I have a good relationship with them, it, it can be you know, very collaborative or they can just be like, you know, do your thing and we'll tell you if we like it. Okay. Um, and I've had some pretty good luck so far, you know, just with, with things, uh, working out. Um, and yeah, it's really fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like writing a jingle, like the, you know, the intro theme songs, they're only a minute long at most. And they don't, they don't need to be very busy, but they also need to be engaging and the tone has to be really perfect. Oh yeah, of course. It will take me a long time to sort of find the right recipe, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. I I wish I you know guitar doesn't always work in oh, a, yeah. <laughs> for the theme music that I'm working on, so I end up using a lot of virtual instruments and synthesizers and stuff like that. But yeah, what um, uh, what what podcasts have you written for? Anything? Um, well, the the one podcast that I mean the the more well known podcast that I work on is Lavar Burton reads. Okay. So, wow. uh, you know Lavar Burton from of Reading course. Rainbow and Star <laughs> yeah. Trek and all of that. Yeah. And Roots. Um, <laughs> and Roots, yeah, of course, yeah, Kuta Kinte. Yeah. Um, he's great. Yeah, and we, I, so I don't do that much original music for that podcast, but I do all of the sound design. So okay. he he reads a short story, he acts out all of the character voices. And then I take that and and sound design it. So, um, you know, sometimes he'll, you know, be like his character is a a cricket. So I have to make him sound like a cricket. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, You know, and put him in the correct space, you know. So uh, a lot of times it'll just be, you know, ambient and background stuff just to sort of put people in in the environment that the story is taking place in. But sometimes really, really crazy stuff happens and I have to sound design those moments, you know. Um, so that, that is really fun. And then sometimes I do do original music for that. Um, but I would say 90% of the time we use library music just because, um, it's just me working on it and there's just no time for a full (laughs) 45 minutes of of original music. But yeah, do you, and then there's, sorry, go ahead. Do you add music to the library yourself? Uh, no, I don't. I've thought about doing that. I I would really like to, but, um, I haven't. Okay. (laughs) Um, and so we should what the guitars that you have right there with you what uh what mm. what is your guitar collection like oh yeah well let's see let me grab one and just move the mic so i forever i was i was really a strat guy uh-huh. so i have a strat it's just uh you know standard american strat 
Um, I have a, a, a D Armand, which is, um, sure. oh, you know, D Armand. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't. Oh, okay, cool. I'm older um, than you. I remember. <laughs> what, way, I'm true. way older than you. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, Actually, when I joined that band, uh, the MDR, the one with Matt Walker, uh-huh. um, I was playing a Strat, and they were like, "You can be in the band, but we're we're not a Stratocaster band." So um, I needed to find a new guitar, and we were shooting out guitars, and this very inexpensive Diarmond uh-huh. uh, beat out like a three thousand dollar Les Paul. It just, oh wow! It it had the the vibe and the sound. It sounds great. Oh, so yeah. Um, yeah, so I still have that. Um, I'm also a fan of Dan Electro guitars. Oh so, yeah, of course. This is one of my 22 guitars. So, uh-huh. again, you can see all the frets. Yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of whammy bars. This had a whammy bar. Uh-huh. It actually just broke off. I need to fix oh, it. Oh, no. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I have this Dan Electro, and then I have another Dan Electro back there that's also tuned to 22. Okay. Um, and that, I got that as a backup because um, that band that I was doing 11s, yeah. I, you know, I, I needed a backup. We were gigging enough at that point that having uh-huh. a backup guitar made sense. Um, and then I have a couple acoustics and, um, that strat back there is actually a guitar I bought for my wife. That's just a, a squire. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That sounds surprisingly great. Yeah. Do you, the acoustics, do you, are any of the acoustics set up with 22 frets? No, I haven't done that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> have, have you, or is that something you want to try or? I, I would love to. Yeah. Um, I don't play as much acoustic guitar, so it's not a yeah. huge priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mostly use acoustic guitar for, you know, uh, whenever I need it. Yeah. yeah and goofing off. Yeah. <laughs> the, and <laughs> what does it cost to, to have the fretboard changed out? Well, so the, the nice thing about metatonal music and this guy, Ron sword, um, he's, I don't know for what it is. It's very inexpensive. So, um, for about, three or four hundred dollars he can he can pull it off wow um so that's not including you know the guitar that you send to him and the shipping and all that but he charges about 400 bucks um and it takes him about uh like two or three months um Uh and from what i can tell he's really backed up he's been working nonstop on because the 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 microtonal thing is has really been taking off a lot more in the last couple years um especially there's a band called king gizzard and the lizard wizard i don't know if you've heard them (laughs) i have not heard of them (laughs) okay you should check them out you might like it they're a really great band they um they've they've put out a bunch of different albums and they have this this kind of big cult following Uh um but about three or four of their records are uh microtonal and they're using microtonal guitars and um so they're they're popular enough where uh, work has kind of exploded for him because there's a lot of kids out there sure. wanting to yeah. make King Gizzard songs. <laughs> oh, cool, excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and and so uh, I, when you're not composing, when you're not playing guitar, what what do you mm-hmm. do for fun? Um, well, since I live uh, I live ten minutes from the beach, so oh, great. I, I go to the beach a lot. And LA has great hiking, so yeah. Um, and we we have a dog, so we we take the dog hiking a lot. Um, I still make sushi. I think I mentioned earlier that I was working as a sushi yeah, chef in yeah, Chicago, yeah. so I I still have the sushi making chops. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, I, I like making sushi. <laughs> <laughs> great. That's My wife cool. likes it a lot too. I'll bet. So. <laughs> no, she's got a chef in the house. That's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, I should let you go. I okay. really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It's, uh, Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate I, it. No, it's, it's a whole new world. It, it really is a whole new world to me, and I I, uh, I love it. I love it. Cool. And your awesome. album, your album kicks ass. I love it. It's, it's so beautiful. Uh, so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Cool. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Brandon. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to How Guitar Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>